thank those of you who joined us online for uh, taking the time to do that. You could be surfing elsewhere. And just because I said surfing, don't do it. Uh, please. We're glad you're here. I'm glad everybody's here on site. Thanks for being here. Appreciate that. Um, minutes of peace are really precious in this world. This world is crazy. If you haven't noticed it, where are you? Are you awake? That's what I want to know. Uh, there's lots of tension just personally and, you know, you know, in our own individual lives and relationships, but this world's full of all-out war, too. Um, when we find these little flashes of peace, we just want to hang on to them, don't we? I uh, just want to hold on and uh, hope they don't end. Uh, but there's a peace. There's a peace that goes beyond uh, explanation the peace that uh, pain and fear that we experience in this world really can't take away. And so uh, that's what we're looking at, these uh, four Sundays of Advent. If you're missing peace, I uh, want to encourage you to take these four weeks to discover it with us. This is the second uh, sermon Second message in that series of finding peace. Several months ago, my coach asked me in the midst of a conversation about me trying to figure out some things. Uh, my coach asked me, uh, so who are you mad at, Mark? It's always fun to have a coach who just... Right to the. Uh, now, so here's my instant. This was my instant predicament. It wasn't just my coach and I in this conversation. This was a group session. <laughs> there were like 20 other people involved in this. Uh, so, am I going to be transparent with the rest of my peers, or am I going to uh, fudge a little bit? My mom and dad always taught me honesty is the best policy. I, and, and I've learned in, in my lifetime that hiding the truth or hiding from it just makes things worse, right? So I took a deep breath and I exposed my truth, laid out my answer. Who are you angry with, Mark? I'm angry with the Lord. We've been talking about some stuff that had been going on that I wasn't really happy about in my life. And I said, God allowed all these things to happen and it doesn't seem, and he doesn't seem, God doesn't seem to be doing a thing about any of it. Uh, doesn't seem to be doing a thing to end all the chaos in my life. And my coach just sat there going, but immediately I think it was God I'm going to blame him I'm going to give God the credit I'm going to blame him I'm going to give God the credit immediately the thought came to my mind yeah, you, it's been a long time but you should start reading the Psalms again
Okay. I uh, started reading the Psalms slowly and carefully, and I began highlighting them. Since it felt like a homework assignment from God, um, I thought I would highlight all the places for myself this time around. I would highlight the words that echoed my feelings. That's one of the cool things about the Psalms. The Psalms are filled with the people writing about their feelings and just laying them out there for God. And so I took the time to work through the Psalms and highlight the words that echoed my feelings. They reminded me that my being frustrated and a little bit angry with God, okay, my being just plain downright ticked at God, Trying to be, okay, uh, isn't something new to the human race. Uh, I'm not alone. By the way, here's some examples. How long will this go on, Lord? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? But these are words out of the Bible. I didn't write. I didn't write. I didn't make this up. Okay, I want you to know, I did not make this. I wrote this came straight out of the Bible. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I have sorrow in my heart? Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord? How long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. How long, O Lord, will you hide forever? How long, O Lord, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They slay the widow and the alien. They murder the fatherless. O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servant. How long, Lord? How long? One of the worst feelings in life for me is waiting. It often leaves me wondering, what's taking so long? One of the worst feelings, it's even worse than waiting on other people, is for me, what's waiting on God? Um, what is God doing? What's taking so long? What's taking God so long? I think we all hate to wait. Well, most of us at least. Some of you may be naturally patient people. Uh, I applaud you and I have no way of identifying with you. But, okay, good for you. What have you waited for God to do something about? What What are you waiting for God to do something about? Maybe you've been asking, how long, Lord, will waves of grief be washing over me? Holy Spirit, how long will you let our loved ones live without really following Jesus? 
Jesus, how long do we need to pray for our children or our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren who are trapped by habits that are killing them? How long do we have to watch this? God, how long will you live with, will we live with the burden of anxiety and depression, worry? How long? one more from the Psalms. How long, O oh Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I have sorrow in my heart? I think we all ask from time to time, what is God doing? What is God up to? What is taking so long? What, what answers does the Bible suggest for us? I'm not going to suggest or hint or even imply. In fact, I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm not giving you answers that I think are pat answers, and we're not going to walk away from this uh, today going, oh, well, now that explains everything. I'm okay now. I still hate to wait, even after thinking about this and praying about this and preparing this message. So if, if you think I'm about to tell you something that's going to make it so you don't hate to wait anymore, I'm going to disappoint you. But I am going to tell you something that might make the waiting a little easier. A little more hope-filled. We're going to look at some words from Paul. He's the first century church persecutor turned church planter. He wrote a letter to one of the, to a few congregations in, in, in an area of what we now call Turkey. And at that time it was called, that area was called Galatia. Uh, he wrote it to about, at about 50 years after Jesus' birth. It was about 20 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected and returned to heaven, to heaven's throne. Uh, this is Paul's summary of Jesus' birth uh, and his mission. It's in Galatians chapter 4, the, the fourth, what I like to call the fourth page of the letter, the first seven verses. He says, uh, he's using life and family life as, as an illustration of, of what it's like, what life's like. So says, think of it this way. If, if, if a father, if a parent dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. So just let's pause for a moment. This makes sense, doesn't it? If, if, so, if parents pass away and their children are like in grade school and they got like a million bucks and a house 
in a business and they leave it all to their kids. Do the kids get to run everything? No. <laughs> you, you don't turn a business over to a five-year-old. Somebody has to take the five-year-old and help them turn into an adult before they can be in charge of stuff. And between the time the five-year-old receives everything, because it all belongs to them, it's going to be in a trust, and they're going to be raised by people who are trustees. That's what Paul is talking about, okay? Until they're adults. We understand this. It happened that way 2,000 years ago. It happens that way now. Sometimes we think, oh, that Bible, it doesn't make any sense. It was written 2,000 years ago. People haven't changed a whole lot in 2,000 years. We, we have cell phones. They didn't have cell phones. Whoopee. <laughs> That's not a whole lot. We have atomic bombs. They didn't have atomic bombs. We just have bigger ways to kill each other. Right? It's not necessarily a good thing. Okay, so people haven't changed a whole lot. This thing still works. This, this illustration still works. If children's parents die and give them everything they own when they're still little, that somebody has to raise them until they're adults. And he says... They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father said. That's the way, he says, that's the way it was with us before Christ, before Jesus came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. We were being raised, he says, like little children. But when the right time came, Hang on to that phrase. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. That was the thing that was raising us, teaching us to be adults. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now we are no longer a slave, but God's, you are no longer slaves, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. That phrase I ask you to hang on to. When the right time came. It's a hard one to kind of translate into English. Paul wrote this in, in Greek a long time ago. So it's kind of like trying to understand Shakespearean English. You read it, Shakespeare, sometimes you read it and go, I know those are English words, but what was he trying to say? It's even worse when you try to read old foreign languages. So here we have it. Some, one translation is when the time came to completion. Another one says, when that set time had fully come. Another one says, when the appropriate time had come. The whole idea, it's kind of like 
when a pregnant woman gets to the end of her pregnancy and it's time, and she yells, it's time! And they run to the hospital. That's the idea. It's the, the fullness of time. The, it's the, the time period of waiting is over. Everything's completed. It's time. How appropriate. What an appropriate term. When the time had finally come, he was born. And it wasn't just a nine-month just, you know, pregnancy that was coming to an end. It was a huge time of waiting for his birth. What was God doing? It took so long. I, the very first promise that God was going to send somebody happened the very, very beginning, the very first book in Genesis, chapter 3, the third chapter of the Bible. When Adam and Eve, our first parents, rebelled against God, God said he was going to send a descendant of the woman to fix things. Thousands of years passed until we got to the exact right time. One of the things I want us to understand is just because God seems silent. We should not fall for the lie that God is absent. God works while we're waiting. I'm not going to talk about the whole thousands of years. I'm going to talk about what, and think about the question, what was God doing while people waited for Jesus' first coming? There were 400 years between the last prophet in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament, and the birth of Jesus. 400 years, where basically there was nothing, the people, God's people didn't really hear a prophet, and they didn't see much happen. It was like God was silent, and they thought he was absent. Five historic happen, changes happened in those 400 years. Uh, right at the end, right at the end of the written record in the Old Testament, Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. The empire of Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, and the Jewish people were dispersed across what they knew as the world at that time. They spread everywhere. And many of them, even after Persia defeated the Babylonians and told them they could go back, many of them just stayed where they were. I mean, it had been 70 years. Some of them had never known that were anything except the place where they were living. They'd heard stories about Jerusalem. Some of them eventually went back to visit for big religious holidays. But they stayed where they were because that's where they, that was their home now. 
kind of identify with that. I grew up in Indiana. But I've lived in Bay City for 30 years, not 70. I'm not that old yet. I'm not that old. Okay, sorry. But I'm moving here. I'm staying here. Some of you are, I'm sorry. I should have sounded so celebratory. <laughs> I can understand. This is the, I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else. This is, believe it or not, now my home. That's the way they felt about Alexandria in Egypt or Babylon in, in what we now call Iraq. Some of them have moved into what we now call Iran. Some of them lived in Turkey. Some of them lived in Greece. Eventually, some of them lived in Italy. They lived all over what we call the Mediterranean and the Mideast. And eventually, now they live all over the Jewish people live all over the world. It's okay. It's their home. It's where their homes are. I understand that. That was one of the things that started happening. The second thing was, there's this guy named Alexander the Great. You probably heard about him in, in your history classes. Uh, he conquered the Persians uh, and the rest of the known world in about 12 years. He started in a city in Greece and took over the whole, what they thought was the whole world at that time, in 12 years. And then he got majorly depressed because there was nothing left, left to conquer. Uh, at least that was his opinion. In the process, he made Greek the official language of trade and business for the entire Greek empire. So, and that Greek empire ran from, ran from Italy all the way over to the edge of Italy, India, all the way down into northern Africa. So that entire like eastern Mediterranean area and over into the Middle East, and northern Africa, everybody, everybody knew how to speak a little bit, read a little bit of Greek so they could do business. thing. What we call the first the first part of the Bible that we call the Old Testament was translated into Greek. Because all these Jewish people who had moved all over the world Hebrew wasn't really their main language anymore. But most of them understood Greek. So they translated the Bible their Bible into Greek so that they could Read it. But also in the process, they made it so that nearly everybody else could begin to understand the stories in the history of God working with his people in the language that nearly everybody knew. Fourth thing. In 63 BC, these people in Rome decided we want to rule the world. We're sick of these Greek people. So the Romans took over the world. And they were, they were more farsighted than Alexander. They took over way more than, than, uh, than Alexander did. They realized that, hey, there's stuff east of us or west of us. 
How many of you have ancestors from Great Britain? Come on, Irish, Scottish, yes. The odds are, if you get a DNA test, you have some Italian ancestry because the rigid, the Italian soldiers, the Roman soldiers were stationed in Britain and they had babies and they left their DNA there and most of us who are from that island, those islands have a little bit of that which probably why many of us never mind, many of us uh, I just, that's so here's something the Romans did the Greeks made Greek the universal language and the Romans left it that way but the Romans built highways and roads to connect the entire Roman Empire and travel was never easier their roads are so good many of them still exist I wish we could ask their engineers how to build interstates. Yeah, and streets. <laughs> Never mind. That's just a... All right. So that was it. So good. Jews were spread everywhere in the world. The Old Testament was translated into Greek. Greek became the official language everywhere. The Romans took over the world and made travel all over the world possible. One of the other things they did was that they enforced what was called the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Basically, they it sounds so nice. They, they, they made peace. It wasn't nice. If you disturbed it, they killed you. If they, if, if they thought you were a disturbance, they would kill you. And that's how they kept the peace. The fifth thing is there was a new way of learning that developed. We've, we've, become, we've come to know it as the Socratic method. It's basically the way of it's asking questions and dialogue. For the first time in history, people were encouraged to ask questions. Dialogue and asking questions replaced lectures. People were able to ask questions and talk about things. It's normal for us, but it wasn't the way it worked before. So it may have seemed like God was doing absolutely nothing. He was silent, but God was used these five developments to prepare time. So at just the right time, He was able to spread the message of Jesus coming across the world. Just because Jesus, God seems silent, do not fall for a scam that God has deserted us. God is working while we wait. God works right now in every situation, in every circumstance that leaves us asking questions. How long, Lord? In those circumstances, he's working behind the scenes to prepare the right time for the arrival 
for the right answers to our prayers. So this is a sermon in a sentence. This is the one line which I would like you to remember above all else. Delays are not necessarily denials. Delays are not necessarily denials. Sometimes our prayers, the answers are so complex. We have no concept of how long it would, it's going to take to work it out. And this is how hope begins to impact your outlook. See, we tend to feel, this is, from my own personal observation of me and other people, we tend to feel like hope is an empty wish, like a pipe dream that probably is never going to come true. But Jesus gives us real hope, which is the confident expectation of God working behind the scenes. He, he wants to push out that, that pipe dream idea and replace it with confident expectation. He wants to replace that it's never going to happen idea with the idea, hey, the sun's going to come up. I'm just waiting for it. We may not see what God is doing, but we know the one who sits on heaven's throne is in the process of making all things new. We will see the final completion, the final renovation of creation at just the right time. We will see him finish his project. Pastor Matt Leroy wrote these words about Advent. He says, Advent is a season of robust hope. It is the kind of hope that is always present, not merely an idea planted out in the future. Jesus takes what is in the future and plants it in the present. He buries it in us like a seed waiting for the harvest. We may not see it flourishing right now, but it is there taking root in us. Hope is present where we need it the most, in the thick of things, where the road closes in and the end seems cut off. When it seems as if there is no hope, we remember that is precisely the one thing we do have. We light a wreath of candles as an act of defiance against the darkness in this world. We proclaim the anthem of Advent, the disruptive message, God with us. With us as we cry out from the depths, with us in our pain, with us in our tragedy, with us in our longing, with us to empower us to love, even in the face of fear, with us to form 
a protest against the way things are and a prophetic vision of what should be and could be and will be. Moment by moment, each one of us has to decide. We have to make a decision. Will I live in confident hope or will I submit to despair? Despair tempts us because it faces every situation with the same response. What's the use? There's no point. Nothing's going to change. It calls for nothing from us. However, hope, hope, hope requires something from us because hope wades into the mess of life expecting to meet Jesus at work there. And hope asks, how can I work with you, Jesus? This is not the last page of our story, folks. Whatever page we're on right now, it's not the end. Whatever page we're on. Whether, we're, whether we like what's happening or not, this is not the last page of our story. God is still at work. Just because we don't hear God's quiet whisper Right now, just because we can't see Jesus at work in some dramatic fashion, we dare not believe the enemy's con that God has deserted us and left us and abandoned us and forgotten us. We are not alone. God is with us. We can never determine what the Holy Spirit is doing in the spiritual realm by what we experience or don't experience in the physical realm. Just as surely as there are things going on around us right now that we can't see physically. You and I cannot see infrared light. But there's infrared light in this room. We can't see ultraviolet light, but there's ultraviolet light in this room right now. We cannot see radio waves, but there are radio waves in this room right now. There's spiritual things going on in this room right now. We cannot see them. God works while we wait. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. God works right now in every situation that leaves us asking questions. And God is not offended when we cry out, and he is not upset when we say, How long, Lord? Jesus asked questions on the cross. There's nothing better 
and going to God with, with my questions, knowing that he's a God who's had questions. All we have to do is keep praying, keep trusting his timing. His timing has always been perfect. God works behind the scenes to prepare the right time for the rival for the answer and the rival for his blessings. I want to end this differently than I usually do. So this is my prayer for you this morning. Here and now, wherever you are, no matter what situation causes you to ask, how long, Lord? This is my prayer for you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust Jesus. So that as you trust him, you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Those of you who connected with us online, thank you for doing that. Appreciate it. And for those of you who are here, thanks for coming. Appreciate that. Uh, if you have not joined the Champions of Hope Facebook group, uh, please feel free to do that. Uh, we would be happy to connect with you there. God has opened a huge door of opportunity for good work here in our community. So I want to encourage you to stand firm in your trust of Jesus. Show courage, give it all you've got, and love everyone you meet with everything you can without stopping. You are sent to make the most of the opportunity God has given us, but you are not alone. Go with Jesus and the Holy Spirit's power.